may not have a film fixation, but we're here for a noir education. Beebidi-boo, doot-doodle-doo, deebidi-pow. Welcome to A Real Education Noir. I am Melissa, and I'm joined tonight by... Allie. And the two of us are here to watch a film noir... Do you remember what we're watching tonight, Allie? Is it Public Enemy? It is so yes! Public Enemy, yes. Uh, Public Enemy, 1931 with Jimmy Cagney. And uh, I'm super excited for this one. <laughs> I'm super giddy. I'm like, wait, <laughs> tone it down a notch. You're not even into the movie yet. <laughs> Bring it down. <laughs> so what do you know about Public Enemy, Allie? I know it is a, it is a classic. It's It's got all the... The great elements that you need for a noir. It's got it's got the bad guys and it's hard boiled and all that fun stuff, you know, as noirs are supposed to be. And so it's <laughs> you know, I know very little about the plot, um, beyond, you know, what I've kind of absorbed through pop mm-hmm. culture osmosis. Mm-hmm. And that's that's good for me because I want to come into this about as fresh as I can. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's one of the it's actually pre-noir. It's nineteen thirty-one. It's just barely out of the sound era. Uh, but it is hard-boiled gangster action. Yes. So this is definitely the sort of stuff that noir came out of, at least in part. So yeah, uh, 1931, James Cagney, gangsters, Prohibition era. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Super, super fun. Super fun. So uh, dear listeners, we are going to run off and see Public Enemy, as you should too, because it's actually really a lot of fun. And then we'll be right back in a few seconds to discuss the movie in depth. Right, we're back. Many people have been shot. So many bullets fired. <laughs> Allie, what did you think of the movie? Oh, that was a hell of a thing. Yes. Yeah, oh my gosh. A, just amazing. Yes. Very good. Yeah. It's I, a- I like me some mobster drama. I really do. <laughs> Some of the early sound era films and, and definitely some of the silent era, era films have, you know, like really slow pacing or, you know, kind of clunky kind of a clunky feel to yeah. them because you know back then they were still kind of figuring out what the visual language of movies was. Yeah. I mean, by this point the film industry was about 20 years old, so I mean they they certainly had a long time to work on this, but you know, still with the sound era and newer equipment it's being It's a whole new beast. Yeah, it's a whole new beast. And um this is pretty this impressive. This was pretty solid. Yeah. Uh, so much stuff from this era looks like they're like filming a stage play. The the yeah. camera is very stoic, but William Wellman just takes the camera and there's like tracking shots and um some... all the establishing shots in the beginning I thought were quite good. Yeah. I like yeah. I liked the the whole this is this is where we're at. This is the world that we are looking at. Mhm. Oh, mm-hmm. That was good. Yeah, it it almost has kind of a documentary feel in the beginning. Yeah. Mhm. This is, uh, you know, 1931. It was actually being made during Prohibition. Mm -hmm. So this was about two years before Prohibition was struck down. So they were literally in the middle 
the middle of this thing and didn't know how it was going to turn out. Yes. So it's a very interesting movie to see from the outside. Yeah, that perspective on it is... When you think about the fact, oh, yeah, it was made during Prohibition. Prohibition had not yet ended. There was no end in sight. Right. It's like, oh, that puts a whole new spin on it. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting double feature. Well, I don't know if it's so much a double feature, but um, Ken Burns' Prohibition, which is uh, one of the big epic length Ken Burns documentaries. It's in three three two-hour parts. Uh Uh-huh. It's fantastic. It's a it goes start to finish. Um, you know all the forces that were at work during the American Prohibition, but it's interesting watching that. You know, I just watched it. I don't know about six months ago, and then watching this again. You know, seeing this as a cinematic history of all yeah. the things that had happened. Yeah, the beginning of the movie starts out with a. While this is not a true story, it is essentially a true story. Mm-hmm. Like okay. 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 There, there are actually a lot of things in the movie that were uh, based on actual fact. Yeah. Like the, the mob hit on the horse, oddly enough. True thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was a Why real thing that happened. surprised? Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, at least they paid for the horse first. Yeah. Yeah. Can we buy the horse? All they right. paid bang, for the bang. right to, to take the horse out. <laughs> like, damn, you guys. They're being legit about it. Totally legit. Yeah. Except in the real story, they actually took the horse to the point where the horse kicked off the guy and then shot the horse. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> That's cold, man. That's cold. Wow. Wow. <sighs> So, dear listeners, if you didn't happen to see the movie, which you really should, but uh, we'll catch you up just a little bit. Um, basically, this is the story of Jimmy Cagney, you know, well, James Cagney being the actor playing the guy who this is about. Um, from childhood to his end, his rise and fall as a Chicago prohibition gangster. Yes. Yeah, along with his buddy, who is his. Uh, you know, partner in crime and uh, his war hero brother who is opposed to all these shenanigans. So that's, you know, really in a nutshell what's going on. Yeah. It is the the rise and fall of a gangster story. Yes. And it is uh, one of the really, this one really set the tone for many, many things that came after it. I think part of what I liked best was watching the progression of, of Tommy and, and Matt Mm-hmm. As as they go from street kids, you know, or not street kids, but you know, they're, you know, they're young street toughs is what they are yeah. basically. Like the, the child actors were so fantastic. Their body language in this film is so cool. It's just I I liked it. Um, but uh, watching them go from these kids in their in their raggy clothes to eventually becoming these young men that start wearing nicer stuff, and then it's suits, and then it's the nice car, mm-hmm. and it's all the little things that they don't, you know. They don't throw it in your face. And now they've got the suit. Now that you just see it. Yeah. And that's your indicator. Okay. They are doing really well for themselves. And I really enjoyed that as, as their progression. Yeah. It's, uh, it's funny there, a few years after this, there was a movie called, uh, Angels with Dirty Faces. Yes. Yeah. Uh, another very famous James Cagney movie where, that he did with the Bowery Boys, you know, which were all kids about the age of the kids that you see in this movie. Mm-hmm. And it has very much the same vibe, a lot of the same themes. It's a little lighter in tone. It's a little bit more common. Comedy, but you you have those same that same vibe coming from that, especially from the kids mm-hmm. uh, part of the movie. But yeah, the the kids are super fun in this, especially the establishing uh, scene where you've got one kid with a bucket of beer and he yes. blows the the foam off the top and just starts chugging from the bucket. It's like, oh man, I've had weekends like that, right? Yes, 
Yeah. I love I love the thing with the tanker truck where they're stealing yes. beer with the gasoline tanker. Yes. I love showing the the thuggery of okay you're selling this isn't our beer you you have to be selling our beer in this joint you have to dump out all your beer and take our beer and and all the the dealings with that i liked the uh the crazy sequence of the people buying up the liquor store stock oh yeah which was a real deal the flower truck coming and dumping the flowers to fill the whole thing up with booze (laughs) the the baby carriage filled the baby carriage yes (laughs) take the baby out put the booze in the baby carriage (laughs) yes i feel like that's that's like a performance art piece that could just be done at convergence (laughs) (laughs) i you're right <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> just take a little pram and just go on the hallways. Need a drink. Need a drink. Need a drink. Oh, <laughs> uh, there's. <laughs> remind me to tell you the Ark of the Covenant story. Anyway, oh, that sounds excellent. <laughs> um, this was one of the most popular films of 1931. It made uh, a lot of money. It was quite famous. It's still quite famous. It made a star of James Cagney. Uh, James Cagney was primarily a um, a song and dance man, and he mm-hmm. did a lot of light comedy, and that's mostly what he did. But these days we know him as the gangster tough guy yeah. because of roles like this one. Yeah. And it's it's interesting how indelible this image of Jimmy Cagney is even all these years later. Mm-hmm. He's, he's got the face for it. Yeah, he, he's got that great square face. He can't wear a hat to save his no. life, which is weird. And then his hair does weird things, and it's like, it's so unfortunate. I do kind of like how his hair just go. they allow his hair just go oh, everywhere. Yes. <laughs> yes, I do enjoy that. I'm like, oh, I've had days like that. <laughs> I had a phase like that in junior high. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> But yeah, watching something like this, it's like you'd never guess that he was a song and dance guy. He was a triple threat. Yeah, but he does have that great physicality. Yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, he was a he was a great uh, tap dancer. He was apparently just a great guy to work with, and uh, he was one of the rare people in Hollywood who married one person and stayed married for like sixty four years. Yeah, just that's that's eternity in Hollywood years. Yeah, literally eternity. Yeah, his wife outlived him. She lived to nearly a hundred. He he, I think passed away in like the nineteen eighties at some point. Sounds about right. Yeah, but yeah, they they were married sixty four years. Her name was Frances. (laughs) Nineteen eighty six. Yeah, he was eighty six years old. Wow. That's easy. That's easy math. Mm. Um, also, uh, also in the movie, we saw Joan Blondell, our favorite. Oh, she's so, she's so great. Good. You know, not given much to do, but uh, dear listeners, if you remember Joan Blondell from Nightmare Alley, Zena yes. was here. <laughs> I always love seeing her on screen. She's just great. We're gonna have to watch Gold Diggers in 1933 at some point because that's a uh, another great influence in the noir era. <laughs> and it has Joan Blondell. Yes. I'm just, I'm all for Joan Blondell, <laughs> wherever we can get that. Uh, let's see, what else? So this was directed by William Wallman, who is a a gentleman who is one of those directors who can direct just about anything. He, he'd run off and do a Western, then he'd run off and do a gangster movie, and then he'd run off and do some sort of romance movie, and then there was a war film, and he'd just kind of do whatever. He started directing in the silent era in the 1920s, and he did a lot of work in 
pre-code Hollywood, you know, like this one mm-hmm. is. I, I mean, obviously this is pre-code. It's I very, enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, isn't it I'm great? So, I'm sorry. I love noir, but I, I hate the restraints that code put film under. Mm-hmm. Like, this was good because I was like, I was trying to think. I'm like, is this pre-code? Is this not pre-code? Until that scene. And I'm like, oh, yes, this is definitely pre-code. Oh, the James Cagney got raped Yes. Scene? Holy <laughs> shit. Yeah. I did remember. not see that coming. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, my that, God. That is a weird scene. Yeah. Too. Uh, oh, dear listeners, if you haven't seen the movie, there is late in the <sighs> film, um, he and his other gangster friends are being kept in a basically a safe house, not by the police, but by the mob. And they're laying low. And um, the the woman who is basically who's like the the wife of the house who's taking care of them takes a liking to James Cagney and she basically gets him drunk and then sleeps with him and he doesn't yeah. remember it and uh, he he realizes the next morning that he got raped. Yes, and, and it wasn't just that he didn't remember it. It was that he kept saying no the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Like that whole scene, he keeps saying no, I'm mm-hmm. not interested. And then your Patty's girl is like. He is not getting, I, I kept waiting for the reversal for the, maybe this is okay. And I'm like, holy Ooh. shit, it never happened. Ooh. And, and he is pissed oh, in the he, morning. Yes, as he should be. Mm-hmm. I was pissed on his behalf and yeah. I did not like his character at all. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That, that is a, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's something you don't see in movies now. No, period. <laughs> at all. I, I kind of appreciated it, actually, mm-hmm. for what it was yeah terrible as it was it was like oh that was it's good to see that happen to other people for a change <laughs> yeah, if, if it has to happen at all yeah, like, just, come on that, that, that's <laughs> it was done well yeah you know it wasn't it wasn't kind it wasn't pretty yeah and it wasn't endorsed and it wasn't no. it, it was clear that this is something that was it was reprehensible and, yeah 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 that was nice to see for a change, you know, mm-hmm. if it has to be seen at all. <laughs> yeah, wow. That I remember seeing that for the first time and it's like my jaw was on the floor. Was like, Seriously, am I interpreting that right? Did I miss oh, no, no, that's actually what happened. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was wow. very blatant. Mm-hmm. There was there was no room for for questioning on that, which I I kind of appreciate. Mm-hmm. And I love how, you know, since this is pre-code, I love how dark it ends. That, oh, yeah. Oh, they're, they're bringing him back. They're, oh, they're, the, the, the family gets the phone call of, uh, oh, they're bringing back. Tommy's coming Tommy's home. Tommy's coming home. They're bringing him home. I don't know who called, but they're bringing him home. And <laughs> the brother opens the door and there's the body standing in the doorway and just falls over like a dead face tree. first face first and that's the end that's of the movie. that's the that's it that's all she yeah. wrote yeah that was a shock actually yeah i didn't expect it to go there mm-hmm. i didn't expect it to necessarily end well although because it was pre-code mm-hmm. i was like there is a chance he'll come home be put in his room and it'll be that's it mm-hmm. you know that he could have the chance for redemption because it was Kind of clear that they, that I felt from this film that they were, weren't saying that everybody who falls into this is terrible and condemned right. for life. That we need to do something about this. We can help. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, there's a chance that this will turn out, you know, well-ish. And he'll recover at home and his mom will be happy. But nope. Nope. The exact opposite of that thing happened. Yep. 
holy shit. Yes. <laughs> I just kind of sat here and like stared at the television for like a solid 30 seconds after that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there's so many scenes. Uh, well, it's almost like um, this is my second time through this movie. And mm. now that I knew where it was going, it was fun to watch each scene progress. And in each scene, there's something kind of bonkers happen yes. in every scene yes. whether it's the the suit fitting scene with the the weird dialogue between yes. the guy measuring the suit and the guy taking the measurements yes. or um the was it was it a chef who was only speaking in clicks and whistles yes there that was, was that was a thing <laughs> or um the the scene in the kitchen at home where the uh the mother's trying to keep the two brothers from fighting and you know, the war hero brother slugs uh, James Cagney and then shoves the money into his hand. And then James Cagney rips up the money. Yes. And, you know, there's just... Or Gene Harlow's outfit. Gene Harlow's <laughs> outfit. Oh, my God. Okay, so Gene Harlow shows up to be the mall in so, the latter half of the movie. And, wow. Yes. There's this one scene where she's wearing that white pantsuit dress robe thing, thing with, with sequins yes. and and these weird like flowy cutout sleeves and the <sighs> I don't know what that was I don't but know, it's but amazing. I wanted it in my wardrobe in like six different colors yeah and and Jean Harlow was like five foot one but she puts that thing on and she, she looks looked like she was giant. six foot four yeah <laughs> just wow it was amazing okay so like my feeling on Jean Harlow in that film was uh, we could have gone through the film and without that character oh yeah at all and it wouldn't have hurt anything I'm like okay so we did this because it's Jean Harlow which is fine mm -hmm. I mean as soon as I saw that pantsuit, I'm like, it was all worth it. Yep. I'm fine with all of this being completely irrelevant. That's mm -hmm. that's fine. Just just keep wearing that stuff, hon. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jean Harlow was a, a star. Yes. She was a big star. Um, she she started working oh in the in the silent era she married she she was very young uh she ran away from home at age 16 to get married to a 23 year old businessman and, as you do and they divorced like two years later but during this period she started working in hollywood and she hit so big like in 1929 she was in 11 movies alone wow and she hit really hit big in a movie called hell's angels which is howard hughes's flying ace uh, yes. movie so she was the it girl for pretty much as long as she was alive because in 1937 when she was 30 when she was 26, 26 yeah. she uh died of kidney failure. She was filming a movie called Saratoga and all of a sudden she got sick and like died the next day. Her kidneys were just gone. Jeez. Yeah. Talk about living hard, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So very short career. Yeah, I knew she had died young, but I mm -hmm. hadn't realized that that was what had done it. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had to finish Saratoga with like long shots and body doubles and stuff. Wow. Yeah, but uh, there's another movie she's in called The Libel Lady, which is a lot of fun. So that that's a fun one to look for. <laughs> I do enjoy her. She's great. Yeah, she is great. Although, man, in this movie, she's it's like, what is that accent? No one lady? knows. Are you from Chicago? Well, no, I'm from Texas. What the you hell are, is that then? You are so not from Texas. No, I or thought was, Or Missouri, where you were actually born. Yeah, no. no. I was thinking that she was trying to do like some kind of East Coaster thing at first. Like, mm -hmm. she, you know, that new money mm -hmm. type of accent. I thought that's what she was going for. And it, nope, nope. Chicago via Texas. No. <laughs> I, I wish you guys could see my face because 
Yes. <laughs> I'm just, I'm so confused. Well, during, during the 30s and 40s, there was a thing called the Mid-Atlantic Accent, which was basically manufactured by the film yes. industry. And I wonder if she was trying to do that and failing? Possible. Or, or something... I have no idea. I choose to believe I, that that where are you from thing was an outtake. <laughs> then he was just like, what is that accent, sweetheart? <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> or, or it was a reference to, yeah, we don't know what she's we doing know. either. We just don't know. <laughs> it is a mystery. You are on this ride with uh, the rest of us. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there were a few things like, it's a few actual things like that in the movie. Um One of the, the most famous scenes in the movie is the grapefruit thing. Where yes. We're... Cagney shoves the grapefruit in Kitty's face. And that was apparently an outtake. Really? They were doing the scene and he was apparently supposed to like throw an omelet at her or something. But he, they did the the grapefruit without telling the crew as kind of a prank on the crew and to see, you know, whatever right, of reaction. Course. And William Wellman liked it so much they kept it in. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, I was at that scene. I was just sitting there thinking, "Wow, really? That's that's what you got? Okay, you <laughs> you are childish, son." Yeah, just, <laughs> nah. Nah. put grapefruit on your face. For years later, people would send grapefruits to James Cagney in restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Although apparently, women's groups protested the movie because of the grapefruit scene. Could have been so much worse. It I really, really could have been. I really honestly expected that he was going to get her, get her or have her killed. Yeah. I really thought that's how he was going to eliminate his problem of, well, I've been with Kitty for so long, mm -hmm. but I don't really want her. Yeah. Th like, thankfully, it was just... he just break up with her, you know? Yeah. <laughs> thankfully, it was just grapefruit and done. Yes. Yes. That was... <laughs> That was far, far preferable, considering the last time with the whole oh, the last God. film we watched with the coffee in the face. <laughs> I, was, I was just prepared for something really terrible. <laughs> like, oh, grapefruit, that's okay. As long as she didn't get it in her eyes, she's fine. <laughs> well, it's, you know, honestly, you know, even if she did get it in her eyes, it's better than continuing Yo, yes. to be you with, know, that with that guy. Asshole. Blech. Yep. <laughs> yep. So... I'll go back to William Wellman for a few minutes. Uh, William Wellman uh, was quite the director. He was all over this era. Uh, he directed the original Star is Born. I believe he also wrote it, in okay. the, the 1937 version. He did Bo Jest. He did Roxy Hart, which is where the musical Chicago comes yes. from. Uh, Lady of Burlesque, which is an awesome thing with um, um, Barbara Stanwyck. The Oxbow Incident, which is this fantastic Western, Yellow Sky, another Western, Battleground, Warm. Perhaps most notably, aside from this, he directed Wings, which was the first movie to ever really? win the Best Picture Academy Award. Huh. Did not know that was one of his. Which is pretty fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Wings, if you've ever seen it, I don't think many people have seen it, but there, it's been nicely restored now. Um, it's just this big, sprawling war epic, and it's... It's pretty fun. You know what? It's it's actually pretty interesting. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, um, he started directing in the 1920s, which is something I think I uh, already uh, noted. He grew up being the Hellraiser boy. He was, like, stealing cars as a child, which is really funny because his mother was a probation officer for wayward boys. <laughs> um, he hopped around to, you know, as he grew up, he hopped around to... Uh, 
various careers. He fought in World War One as an aviator. He earned the nickname Wild Bill because he was he had this devil may care attitude mm-hmm. to shooting people down the sky. And uh, when he came back from World War One, uh, Douglas Fairbanks uh, spotted him while he was playing professional hockey. And Douglas Fairbanks said, hey, kid, you're good looking. I bet you could act. And uh, so eventually Fairbanks started getting him cast into roles in very early Hollywood. But he got fired for slapping an actress who happened to be the director's wife. So that didn't work out. But Fairbanks pulled a few more chords and got him in on the production side for directing. And uh, that's pretty much how his career started. He apparently was a hard drinker. He hated actors. Mm. <laughs> he he hated working with male actors because they were narcissistic. He hated work, working with female actors, even though they were easier on set. They'd take forever to get ready. He, he was apparently... There was just a lot of directors in that era that actually hated working with actors. Oh, yeah. It seems like. Yeah. Yeah. Actors are cattle. <laughs> <laughs> But apparently if you got on his good side, you're okay. Um, he, yeah, he, he was pretty, pretty much a character. I did uh, get a quote from, uh, this came off of IMDb. It came from uh, Eddie Bracken. Uh, Wellman was a, truly a wild man by being overly energetic. His muscles would move when he talked. He had a marvelous sense of humor. Bill was the kind of guy who would play an awful lot on the set. He would build bonfires under the director's chair when somebody else was sitting there, or give you a hot foot. He'd have a whip that had an electric charge in it, and then touch you on the fanny, and then you'd jump sky high. He was a practical joker and a tough man. Put up your fists against Bill, and you had a fight going on that would take at least an hour to end. He was just that type of man. Okay. (laughs) So it must have been quite the experience to work with him yes i can imagine yeah but many 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 movies under that man's belt yeah so one thing Mm -hmm. i did actually not like about this film yeah which is indicative of the era um the lack of reaction to matt's death yeah in the film yeah definitely i mean you get the impression of course that it did profoundly affect tommy or he wouldn't have gone after uh, skimmer burns and gotten himself shot mm-hmm. all that so y- you know that it affected him but it's like we then see matt's sister later yeah who was apparently living with the powers mm-hmm. um it's unclear if she married the brother or not yeah. like we know they're going together but we don't know if they're married but there's literally no reaction from anybody yeah about this kid's death and it's like he seems like he was the more of like the moral compass of the group yeah i mean while he wouldn't speak up he clearly was the one that had trouble with some of the stuff they were doing right so it, it would have been nice to see any kind of yeah visual it, appreciable reaction to the fact that that had happened yeah it felt really strange yeah. it didn't feel organic at all no uh, all it did was inspire the suicide run and the only thing i can feel is well we have to find a way to con- to get rid of this character at this point mm-hmm. to, uh, or rather have to find a way to get tommy to do something that will get rid of him right so it was he was just collateral damage i felt yeah. like like yeah, it would have made a lot more sense for him to have been injured mm-hmm. and left and then tommy doing whatever but 
I don't know. I wanted more reaction to that. And I know that that's the wrong era to be looking for a little bit more depth on that sort of <laughs> thing, especially well, from the women. Oh, yeah. You'd, you'd think, especially since they're reacting to everything else, including yeah. other characters' deaths. Yes. Yeah. Limpy Larry or whatever they called him in the yeah, beginning yeah, yeah. that, like, has three seconds of screen time. But, but they... The, yeah. He, he, they were upset enough about it that they went and killed Putty Nose. Yeah. Like... Okay. <laughs> Whatever. No, I, I completely agree with you there. It's like that that was just a weird cuz we as the audience cared a lot about that character. Yeah. And it felt like there was no payout for that end for mm-hmm. him. Like that's something I would have expected from Hayes Code and and been like, "Okay, well, yes, he had to die because he was wrapped up in this and nobody's going to react because it was what needed to happen." Right. But but being pre-code, it's like you I would have liked to have seen something. Yeah, it, it, acknowledgement. It it seemed weird for the tone of the rest of the story, the mm-hmm. way other characters reacted to other events. No, I completely agree with you there. Although something I didn't bring up about that that scene where he died, um, they were using real bullets. What? This is before the uh, the invention of squibs, which uh-huh. are the little uh, explosives that you yeah. you put in walls to make it look like bullets are hitting walls. No, they were rounding the corner of the building. And people with machine guns were firing at them. So, what the shit? So when the the that side of the building gets all that's fucked up, real bullets. Those are real bullets. Oh my god! No, <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not okay. Yeah. yeah, and that and those weren't stuntmen. That was G- James oh, Cagney and the other actor rounding the corner and being fired at with real guns. All right, because those are known for their accuracy. Uh huh. Jesus. Well, that's why they put him behind a stone building before well, shooting yes, at them. Yes, but oh my god. But yeah, um, oh. that era of Hollywood was not super safe to do stunts uh, in. No. No, no, no. I, it wasn't much longer after that where they did figure out squibs, but Yikes. yeah, there there were a few years there where they were honestly using real bullets in all those scenes. Nope. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Oh, that changes that whole tone of that scene for me now. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe Cagney was kind of smiling around the corner, just like, and "Oh, I thank didn't God, <laughs> I didn't. I'm still alive. Okay, that's good. That's good." Ooh. Yeah, yeah. That that definitely puts another spin on his reactions Ugh. in that scene. Yikes. Let's see, some of the other stuff I really liked about this one. Um, I do love the shootout that happened afterwards where it's the the pouring rain and yes. he goes into the building. Oh, you that's never, a beautiful shot. You never see what's going on, but you hear it happen. Mm-hmm. And I love that stuff. Uh, I like his, yeah. his spiteful throwing the guns through the windows. Afterwards. Yeah. That's just spite. Yeah. Just, and the horse you rode in on. <laughs> <laughs> Also, the the classic, you know, how he got those guns in the first place. Yes. You know? oh, oh, my God. Show me how you load that thing. Okay, here. I'm sticking up the pawn shop. <laughs> yes. That was funny. Also, what was it with the flowers? I want to know. There were so many flowers in this film. Yeah. So the, much. Yeah. You know, you got the florist emptying out their van. You've got the... The, the giant war- American flag floral arrangement. It was room size. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. Came from the mobster. Wow. Just, just wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so many flowers. And then the mobster's funeral has like, what did they say? $75,000 worth of flowers. Yeah. Like, what the hell? And who puts that in the paper? 
offer. <laughs> Why is that news? I mean, I guess $75,000 worth of flowers is a lot of goddamn flowers. Yeah. Especially at that time. But in the paper? Yes. As the top of the headline? <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, yeah. It, it's just crazy pants. Seriously. <laughs> uh, that, was, that was the bonkers thing from that scene. Yeah. Oh, my God. So many. Oh, so many so flowers. Oh, yeah, so I think I think that's probably about all I've got for this movie. Do you have any final thoughts, Allie? No, I think I've really covered everything. All it was right. just it was fantastic. All right, we're we're definitely going to uh, return to the pre-code era, you know, from yes. time to time, and watch some of these old gangster movies because you know they're awesome. Yeah, they they definitely feed into to noir eventually. But uh, next time we are going to be visiting a movie called Elevator to the Gallows, which is a French film. I'm so disappointed that I'm missing this uh, one. Yeah, I, we're going to have Tanya on that one. Yes, Tanya will be back for that mm-hmm. one, and I'm excited to listen to your guys' thoughts on it. Well, we'll have to uh, get you a copy of Yes, it. yes, yeah. yeah, definitely. Okay, so dear listeners, Elevator to the Gallows next time, and uh, we will catch you in about two weeks. Yes, bye! Bye-bye! We hope you enjoy our film fixation. We'll see you next time on a noir education. Thank you for joining us for a real education noir. New episodes arrive on the 7th and 21st of every month. You can find our podcasts and social media feeds on our website at realedunoir.com. Special thanks to Tim Wick, Jeffrey Brown, and Chad Dutton for our theme music. If you like our show, you might also like our parent podcast, A Real Education, which discusses all genres of film. You can find it on the web at realedu.com. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Tell me how long do I have to wait? Oh, can I get you now or must I hesitate? Lizzie Jones, big and fat, slipped on the ice and broke her.